school, uh, if, you, if you learn about riding a motorcycle, one of the things that is drilled in your head over and over is target fixation. Everybody say target fixation. Target fixation. And what that is, is if this is a truck, and that truck, I know we have some truck drivers here, they're stopping for a legitimate reason, okay? So if they legitimately have to put the brakes on and you're behind them in your bike, what do you do? You go, oh my gosh, there's a truck. And you know what? You will hit the truck if you fixate on the truck. Because a motorcycle goes wherever the eyes of the driver are. And it's, it, I mean, it's uncanny going through exercises and, and, and learning to go, yep, there's a truck, but, and then you look for the exit. And if you focus to the, to the side of the truck, your bike will naturally go in that direction. If you're trying to make a really slow turn <clears throat> in a small area like a U-turn, what you have a tendency to do is look down and fixate on your tire and where it's going. But what you learn to do is you snap your head. And if you watch videos of people that are really good on big bikes, like the, the chips, the guys out in California, the motorcycle cops, they snap their head to the side and they fixate where they want to go. And it follows. And it is just, I mean, I wish everybody could try it. Because it really, it shocked me in, the, in doing it. I was like, really? I don't think so. But it works. So I want, one of the themes today is target fixation. Where are, you, where are your eyes fixated? Amen? You're, you go where your eyes are fixed. And the other thing is, today we have opportunity to... Um, to participate in communion. So that's going to be a part. So as we're reading Scripture this morning, uh, the two things I want you to think about as we're, as we're reading are target fixation and communion. And how does that apply? Let's go to Matthew 16. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I want to start in John 6. That's why I was kind of surprised. John chapter 6. And we're actually going to read much of this today. You know, it's... Uh, can't go wrong reading Scripture. <laughs> and you know, they used to do that in the temples, wasn't it? That's, that's what a lot of what they would do. So I'll, I'll provide a little commentary, more just to direct your attention uh, to some things. But in this first part of the passage, I'm going to read through uh, the first 15 verses. Just follow. After this, Jesus went away, and I'm reading through the heavenly translation. Uh, so get used to it. This is the one you'll read in heaven. Oh, Rochelle says. But this is ESV. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? He said this to test him, because he already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered and said, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. 
One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was uh, much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Holy Spirit, I thank you that uh, you were sent and that you're the, the teacher. You're the one that reveals the Son to us. And so I just thank you that as we read your word today, that you will bring revelation into us, into our minds will be renewed, and that we'll walk as living sacrifices. Thank you. Amen. So, you know, here this is something we're probably all very familiar with. Jesus feeds the 5,000. And at the end of that, Verse 15, he says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So part of what I want to look at, we're going to look through, there's just a couple days, of a lot of stuff happened in a couple days here. And right after this, he realizes, oh great, they're going to try to make me a king. And it's interesting, not only the disciples, but most people were fixated on a king that was coming to deliver them in the flesh, like a kingdom that they could go and fight for. And they were willing to fight and die for a flesh, a kingdom that they could see in the physical realm. But we're really missing that, that it was a spiritual kingdom, and then that then would follow and come to the earth. So all of a sudden he realizes, man, they want to make me king. i got to move. So he, he withdrew. Next we see that the evening came. And his disciples went down to the sea, verse 17. They got into a boat, and they started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid." They were then glad to, see, uh, glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So all this is happening in a day. I mean, that, was a, that would have been a pretty big day. I'm just saying, if you're one of the disciples, you're just like, wow. On the next day, verse 22, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe into him who he has sent. So they said to him, Well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So remember, we're thinking about communion and about target fixation. So they're looking at earthly food. You know, give us more bread. What are you going to give us? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's a little bit of a fixation there, too. His target was Father. What it, what, I'm not here to do my will, but what is the will of Him who sent me? All this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. I imagine that would have been a little bit of an, for those folks, that, that was a strange word, you know? They didn't have the context that we do, you know, at this point looking back. But for them, that was like, I don't think they'd heard that message in the synagogue before. So it gets interesting now because we see that just a couple days before they were wanting to make him king and that was the people. But here, his disciples, of which is greater than the twelve, many of his disciples heard it and said, well, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to the Father unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So not only, you know, a couple days earlier they were wanting to make him king, and I'm sure the disciples were a part of that, um, but here, you know, to me, it's just from this page to this page. They're, they're saying, this is just a little bit too much to drink of your blood and eat of your flesh. I don't think so. I don't, I don't get that. And so they walked away, even to the extent he turns to the twelve and says, do you want me to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So I just felt like um, this chapter talks and I mean, when we take communion, it's a reflection of all that he said here. And it's acknowledging, and, and for us it's a practice and an acknowledging of that I'm drinking of your blood and I'm eating of your flesh 
This is not just bread, but this is, this is your flesh. And this is not just, uh, in this setting, juice, but this is your blood. Um, so I wanted to start with that. Also, I think that the third thing that I wanted to bring into the mix today is that there are, um, and we all know this, there's levels in our walk with the Lord. And, you know, we were singing some, I, I just loved the songs and the, and the words. Today it was even refreshing again, just that thing of that we will praise you with our lives. That's a pretty strong statement. And it's not just doing good things for him. That's not the point. But, you know, he calls us to be living sacrifices. So a sacrifice indicate, you know, if I said, man, you're going to have to sacrifice that, it ends up you're giving up something for something. And, and, um, and I really think that we have that opportunity here on the earth. Uh, and it doesn't mean that we're called to beat ourselves and, you know, I mean, the point isn't how much can you sacrifice for God in that sense. What are you willing to give up, you know? On the other hand, it is in that it's I'm willing to give up my life and do as Jesus did and say, what is the will of the Father? And I really, I'm going to throw this in because I get to do that when I talk. I throw in little things. But, you know, I know that there are some here today that living full on 100%. I mean, let's just pretend that you are living 100% a sacrifice and doing exactly what the Father wants for you. Do you know that that can look different for every single one of us? And I think will. You know, some in here are called in the marketplace, and the Lord has them in a position in the marketplace because of their gifting to be very productive and to be able to give into the kingdom. That's part of what God's called them to do. You know what's funny about that is he could have, and God can make something out of nothing, right? I mean, he took those fish and multiplied. I mean, he did all kind of crazy things. But for whatever reason, and I don't understand this, but I just see it as true, is he chooses to work. He set the natural things in process. And he chooses generally to work within those laws in that process. So even though, like my going to Africa, it, it requires money to buy tickets, to buy motorcycles, to get to the desert, to buy backpacks, to have food, to support the ministries that we're doing there, um, and that could just come out of nowhere. And there's times, I think, just like in healing, where there's, you know, people can't explain where the money came from. But I think for the most part, what we see is there are those who are being obedient to the Father, and He's saying, I want to express myself in this workplace through you. And part of that is that I'm going to bless you. You're going to be able to give into ministry. But also, on our, on our logo, there's two feet. And when I share with folks about that, 
One of the things that I felt like Holy Spirit told me is that footprints are like fingerprints. No two are exactly alike. Now, what I mean by that, when I say footprint, I mean if you are able to go in space and look at the lifetime of Emily on the earth after she's gone and see where her feet went, that footprint, literally where you step on the earth and where I step. Now, there are people that we walk real closely with a lot, but they're never exactly the same. At some point in a day, those feet diverge, and there's meetings, and there's people, and there's things going on. So what I believe is true is that he wants his presence around the world, in the marketplace, in the village, in the desert, you know, at the home. So the point is not, does this seem like a more spiritual thing to do, or is this more of a quote-unquote, full-time ministry. But for every one of us, it's exactly the same. Are we living sacrifices? And are we allowing the life and the light that's in us, are we carrying that into whatever our place, whether it's at our home caring for our grandkids? It doesn't matter. It's the same for all of us. So let's move to, uh, now let's go to Matthew 16. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given you to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Pretty interesting. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, you know, it's not like they were reading from the Quran, right? They were using the text that God had given down through, through the ages. But they, were, they, they had a fixation on something other than life. So, so much so that life stood right in front of them and they condemned life to death. They just couldn't see it. Now Jesus, when he came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of heaven, of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter, who just said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So it's interesting. You see Peter, and, and it's, for me it's interesting as you see a thread. The whole lifetime that they spent, the years they spent with Jesus, unfortunately they were fixated on the planet Earth and what was going on here. And even though they were hearing a message of a kingdom, they're thinking on right here, right now, we're going to take over the Romans, and we're willing to we'll sacrifice our life. They were willing to sacrifice their lives for that. Um, so here, though, Peter's hearing God saying that you know Jesus saying, "Hey, you know they're going to take my life," and I think he sees all of a sudden, wait a minute, uh, how are we going to take over if you're dead? That's really not going to work out too well. And um, but Jesus rebukes him. You're setting your mind on not setting them on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul?" For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You know, it's funny, when I read that this morning, because I I was debating, like, typically, you know, you want to use a couple small scriptures and you talk. And I just felt like the Lord said, no, I want you to read a chapter, and I want you to read a chapter. I was like, okay, I'll do that. I uh, hope everybody doesn't fall asleep. We'll do it. Then I read this verse, and it's like, can I just leave that one off? Because in the past, that's really challenged me. I haven't understood what that meant, where it says, truly, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. But you know when that happened? On a cross. I mean, I'll just pitch it out there, but that's what struck me this morning is they saw him come in his kingdom. It was a spiritual thing that happened when his physical death happened, and then, then he rose from the dead. Isn't that when all of that happened? And now it's the working out of that? Now, we could debate and say, well, it's all happened from the beginning. There's no time and so on. But I think with this statement, I believe that was his reference. It wasn't an in-time coming of a kingdom uh, that they would see, but they actually saw 
what they were thinking was going to happen in the flesh, through his dying, that kingdom came, and they actually saw and experienced the kingdom. And there was quite a change for them after his death and resurrection. That's when I think light started coming on, and they're like, oh, so it's not about us just killing all the Romans. There's something else going on here. So part of, you know... um, Part of the question today is how, how many of us, too, are more fixated or focused on a physical manis- manifestation? And um, I, I wanted to um, I'll just talk, touch briefly on that, and then we'll, we'll move more towards the communion. But it's very easy... I wrote a thing a while back, and it said, "At what time does an, what what time does distraction become an idol?" And I think it's at when we become fixated. <laughs> so it could be anything. It could be an event. Uh, it could be. I mean, for Peter, it was seeing it was seeing Jesus give himself to the to the the um the Romans and so he's seeing this event with his eyes and he goes to cut off the guy's ear, right? But Jesus picks it up and puts it back on it's like, no, 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 you don't get it. This isn't about conquering these soldiers, even though what had they just witnessed? In one account did I put that scripture here? I don't think I did. Uh I was reading uh you know in the one account in the garden there, he asks, you know, they, he says that you're, dang, what is, where is that? Where he says to them, he speaks and they all fall down. They all, draw, they all go back and hit the ground. Are you know, you, do you remember where I'm talking about? I don't remember which of the Gospels that's in. And, and so that happened twice, where all these Roman, the guards, whoever's there, were, were down on the ground and got back up. So they had seen all this demonstration of God, of power, of creative miracles, uh, walking on water, all this stuff, the supernatural, and I think they felt like somehow we're just going to be able to overpower the guards and the Romans, and you're not going to die, and we're going to make you king. And yet the Lord's saying, no, you don't understand. There's a, there's a different realm that that I that I come from and where my kingdom is being established. So I, I encourage us the the fixation piece is it can be anything. It can be politics, it can be a world situation, it can be uh and these are real things. I mean uh, it's it's like with David. Those weren't like pretend things. He was going through life and death situations. Um, And we all have things in our lives. And I would just encourage you to kind of right now take a little inventory and kind of go through like a day in the life of and insert your name. And, And really a good telling sign is what is your conversation? Because you speak about what you're fixated on. That's what that's the conversation you end. You know how there's some people, it doesn't matter what 
I could start with any topic, but I already know where the conversation will end up. Within five minutes, that conversation will be, I could tell you what it's going to be. No matter where I started, this other person is going to always take it right to that place because that's where their mind is fixated. So that's a great little test for us through our days to say, Lord, are there, you know, man, we, we say we don't want to have any idols. We don't want to have anything that we put, that we look at above God. That we go, wow, this thing, this is just terrible. This is just, and we fixate on that. Now, it's not that we don't recognize those things. Like I said earlier, David recognized all the enemies that were coming after him. But after recognizing them, he would fixate on the Lord. And he would say, oh, my soul, rejoice. Oh, my soul. And he would cry out to God. But that was his place. So what came out where you ended up, the ending point with him in all of those places are, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is the victor. So in our lives, it's not, I don't believe that it's wrong to acknowledge things that are going on, whether they're political, relational, work-related. Yeah, I, I don't think the point is to ignore or try to pretend they're not there. I think it's identifying that and then speaking forth the lordship of, of Christ over those things and being fixated on that. And w- then what we'll see is the working out of these scriptures, Roman eight, Romans 8 and 9. Romans 8, uh, and let's, let's look at, uh, well, in the spirit of what we've done so far today, let's start with verse 1. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh." But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, You, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit, who dwells in you. Thank you, Lord. 
A mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. And, you know, this is something that I've seen a working out of this. You see often uh, when people have no rest and they're not at peace. And when you counsel and and you're speaking with them, there's just this fixation with the problem. And you know how um, there's even this funny thing that we see where, you know, you'll see this person like, and somebody will just go, wham, slap them. You know, it's like, then pop, stop the cycle. We just get in this thing mentally where we set our mind on whatever that thing is in front of us. And then it brings unbelief and it brings doubt and it brings, and we just get weighted down and weighted down and the end result of that is death. But that's not who we are. And so as we recognize, man, I'm, I, I have the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. And then as I begin to fixate on that and on that truth, that's when, we be, that's when we're able to walk in life and peace. And how many of you know that people that come up with the ideas and the ways to get through something are the ones that believe there's a way to get through? You know what I'm saying? And they, you, you can, if you're fixated, if you're fixated on the problem, you can't find the answer. Because all your, your, your pro, it's just a, God made us that way. But as we're, as we're open to say, God, I know that you say that you always make a way. And I know that in you is life and peace. I don't know that it's, so I don't know that it's necessarily that all of a sudden an answer appeared. I think you were just able to see what was already there. You understand what I'm saying? You're walking. It's like you're walking in a room full of, of, of the answers. It's just sitting right there. But the room is dark because of your, you're just looking down at the floor, just consumed with the problem. And when, you, when you're able to say, Lord, and you look to Him and you look up, it's, all, it's there. So whether it's created in that moment or whether it's there, the point is, as we will be fixated on Him and on the spirit of life and peace that lives in us, then we can walk in victory. Colossians 3.2 just underscores this. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Um, One of the things that's come up as I'm looking at cultures in different places that I'm traveling to, uh, one of the things that actually is fairly prevalent here in the West would be called evangelical Gnosticism. And it starts with a G. Gnosticism but you're not supposed to pronounce it. Evangelical Gnosticism basically is practiced in a strong way in America. And what it is, is Gnosticism is where you separate things of the spirit and of the physical. And so what I'm referring to is how many people do we know, and don't point a finger at anybody in here or yourself, uh, who... The extent of their relationship with God, if you want to define it as relationship, is Sunday. And there's a real sense in America 
that if I go to church on Sunday, I take my money, I support the church, pastor's awesome, it's good, we have amazing things going on, it was a great service, and it felt good, I felt the presence. I mean, you can say all of it could be, and it could be, all of that could be real. But when you walk out the door, it's like, okay, now it's back to life, you know? Really? And that's a way the enemy has just kept, kept the presence, kept those who the very presence, it says a spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. We carry that everywhere we go. But if we're not aware of that, and if our mind is set on the same things that everybody else that we're around is set on, which guess what, if they're not believers... You know, they say if a pig grunts, why are you surprised? That's what pigs do. You know, if people who are not believers are living as they're not believers, hello, that would make sense. But too often we mimic or we live in a very similar, oh, well, I don't cheat and steal and go out with girls that do, you know. It's, that's not the point. The point is we have an opportunity to really bring the presence of the Lord into whatever our place is. So the last scripture is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And, you know, Mel and I have talked about this, but for us, the understanding of worship, one small expression of worship is music. And I love it. I just, I, I you know, it's something that I enjoy, the experience of the expression of worship through music. But really, worship is being a living sacrifice. It says that's our reasonable worship. So, today, the couple things that I want to underscore are fixation. If we are fixated on the problem, then we'll hit it and we'll be a mess. So, if there are areas in your life where you feel like you've either hit the truck or you're about to hit the truck, I would encourage you that you set your mind on the Spirit. And I would encourage you that you will see the answer, that you will see Jesus, and in that He'll give you wisdom in whatever, and in whatever way, if it's a relational issue, if it's a work issue, if it's financial, if it's whatever. If it's bigger than that, if it's dealing with our country and the issues here, um, it's not, again, I think it's good to acknowledge and understand what those are, but not to fixate. And then really focus on the Lord. And in that, we're the ones that He wants to reveal Himself to the world through. We're the sons. As we, will, as we fixate on Him, then we're the sons that are going to be revealed to the earth that's groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. So for us, that begins with us being those that allow that to flow through us. In regards to, the, to communion, you know, we read a lot of scripture where he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. But this ties together with living sacrifice in that it was after 
that he spoke that to these people, that they went, hmm, that's eh, a little bit, that's kind of a hard word to hear. I would say that was a form of Gnosticism in a sense. They were, they were cool with the miracles and seeing the, the, the bread multiplied and the fish multiplied, but when he makes a statement to them that's basically saying, be a living sacrifice, you have to eat of me and I become your life and you give me yours, then they're like, nah, not so much. So the encouragement to us in these two acts are in receiving communion, as we receive, uh, and the elements are ready, if we, if we, as we receive communion today, that we be aware, very aware, that this is a response to what we just read in the Scripture. It's a response to Him saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then in that process, use this as an opportunity to say, Lord, I thank you that your life is in me and that you paid a price and you gave your life for me and now I give my life to you. And it's not I just give my life so that I go to heaven at a point. It's I give my life, living a living sacrifice. It means the, the, as, as we, I, I like a phrase, inhale, exhale, worship. I mean, every, with our breath, we worship and a form of worship is being a living sacrifice. Amen?